All right, welcome to another edition of the Nets Insider. My name is Randy Zellier from BackSportsPage.com. With me as always, I guess do this way with the hand gesture this way, Rick Laughlin from the Nets Insider, and we're honored to have Greg Logan, who covers the Brooklyn Nets for the Daily News, joining us. Greg. Well, actually, it's actually it's for New York Newsday. Newsday, I wasn't paying attention personally this morning, and I appreciate that. Greg. Thank you for joining us this morning. I really appreciate it. I know it's early after a game day, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I'm, it's my pleasure. So I guess where to start is big win for the Nets last night. Big, big win over the Bucks, a team that sort of had their number during the regular season. But to me, the, the, the Harden situation aside, you've been covering this team all year round up close. I feel like the Bucks sort of caught the Nets off guard during the regular season or not at full strength or not at a mental place where they should have been at that point. Well, that's that's true. You know, uh, Harden played in the uh, in the win over the Bucks uh, at Barclays Center. It was one of his first games uh, with the Nets and he was terrific. He had 34 points and just kind of dominated. But Kyrie missed that game. Then uh, Harden was on the sidelines for those back-to-back games, two games in three days in uh, in Milwaukee in early May. And so the the Bucks never caught the Nets at full strength. And, uh, and they were, you know, the Nets kind of blew those two games in Milwaukee. They were up in the fourth quarter in both games, and they let the Bucks go on an extended run in both fourth quarters. And so uh, uh, they weren't at full strength. They had the lead. They blew it. And, and it was kind of a, a, a weak showing by the Nets uh, at that point uh, in the season. But you just knew that they were going to get better, you know, down the stretch and, and with more time together, which they did. Uh, and they finished the season strongly and, and then had a great series against uh, the Celtics. It's it's just a shame that, uh, that James Harden was hurt 43 seconds into the game. And uh, who knows how long he's going to be out now. He, he missed eight games uh, uh, near the end of the regular season and if if he's in that same spot now he could be out the rest of the playoffs so that's a that's a terrible blow for the Nets but uh, but they put together a, a great showing of solid defensive effort uh, Irving and uh, Durant both had very nice games and they got great games from the complimentary players uh, particularly uh, uh, Blake Griffin and Joe Harris and uh, and then Mike James came in off the bench, played nine minutes in the entire Celtics series and played 30 minutes last night and scored 12 points and had seven rebounds. So they, they're they a very adaptable team. They've learned how to adjust over the course of this season because of all the injuries that they've had, all the different lineups. And uh, and so last night was actually a, a quite an impressive showing. And if I'll, I'm going to piggyback off what Greg said, uh, Randy. I feel that Look, there's no silver lining to the James Harden injury. That could be potentially a devastating blow to their title hopes. But what I think could actually come out of this is the fact that I felt that the Nets leaned too heavily in the Celtics series on their big three, that the bench was non-existent. I, it left myself sometimes with Steve Nash's rotations scratching my head, as, as Greg alluded to. Uh, Mike James hardly saw, saw action. You had uh, DeAndre Jordan is still basically, we don't even know what his status is. 
an injury related to him not even being, uh, you know, participating in either series. Well, so I want to throw one thing out there. I want to I want to throw one thing out there with it with with one scenario, with Harden going down, you could still have a big three with Blake Griffin. I honestly feel that Blake Griffin has not been Blake Griffin since he's gotten to that. Well, I, I don't think Blake Griffin has been Blake Griffin since he got to the Nets. Yeah, yeah, he, he's he's actually, uh, you know, it it depends on how you view Blake Griffin. When he came to the Nets, I think everybody knew he was past his uh, his All Star prime. He was no longer the same explosive uh, presence at the basket that he was with the Pistons and the Clippers. Uh, and he had actually not dunked for two years. And uh, but he he said he would do that when he got to the Nets, and he did, and they got him in in good shape. And uh, as as I've said to, to many people, you know, he actually has sort of volunteered for the role of setting the defensive tone uh, for the uh, the Nets and for their physical presence. And certainly did that last night, fourteen boards, and then he he threw in the three point shooting as well. And so he had a, an outstanding double-double performance last night. And, and he, he definitely has that potential to play back to his, his all-star form, but that's, that really hasn't been the role. That's not what he's been called upon to do. And in the Celtics series, just the way they played defense kind of uh, took him out of that series a little bit uh, with their switching defense. But now the way the, the, the Bucks played him a little more straight up and – and he was able to get to his spots and and have a great game at, at both ends of, of the floor. And with no Harden, you're absolutely right. It has to come from someplace. And I, in fact, I asked him if he felt the need to step up, and uh, and he said he absolutely did. He said they they got together in the huddle after Harden left, and they told each other, "Okay, somebody's got to step up." And as it turns out, uh, he was he did it. Joe Harris did it, and and in a more limited role, uh, Mike James did it. So, you know, I I agree with Rick that uh, uh, this could have the effect of, you know, getting more people involved, and they know that they're at their best when they keep the ball moving and they're not just running isolation all the time. And so I I think KD and and, uh, Irving understand that, and they understand that without Harden, it can't just be two – you know that they need to keep their teammates involved, and and I also think a key for this team too is making sure you're keeping Kyrie mentally in it. You know that's I, I know that's been a, a, an underlining story for the whole t- whole entire season, but it seems like when Kyrie's been on the court, he's been playing hard, and obviously the loss of Harden is a big thing. Uh, I just want to bring up one thing with Blake, you know. He does still have the tools. One of the biggest things with Amari Stoudemire back in the day was I always felt like you need to have your power forward as athletic as he is, be able to expand his game and be able to start shooting jump shots to prolong your career. Blake has proven that he can do that. So can Steve Nash look at Blake and say, hey, listen, if James is going to be out for an extended period of time, we need you to do more because you know what you're getting from Joe Harris. You know what you're getting for Kyrie and KD. You know what certain guys can bring to the table. You're lucky to have another guy who's been an all-star who has that skill set to give you more. Well, would Steve put Blake in that position and say, hey, I need you to be you know, 3A, <laughs> be part of the big 3A in that situation? 
I think you're absolutely right, Randy. I, I think that that's exactly what's going to happen because they know that they that he's part of their toolkit, so to speak. And, and so they know they have him there and they didn't have to ask for as much from him in the past. And now they do. But, you know, again, he's got to play a two-way role for them uh, because he is a key to their defense. And that's why he's playing, frankly, and uh, DeAndre Jordan is not. You know, they just dis- decided they just didn't like, uh, you know, as, as big and powerful as DeAndre Jordan is, and he does offer rim protection, they just didn't like his defense, you know, compared to uh, Blake's uh, uh, physical style, taking charges, staying between himself, uh, between the rim and the ball, uh, as much as he does. And so, so yeah, I think he's going to definitely play a huge role the rest of the series uh, and that, and that it will be a conscious decision on their part. In fact, uh, when I write my story for tomorrow, I, I'm definitely going to be focusing on Blake Griffin and, and the role he's going to play going ahead. And, and I, I have to, I'm sorry, I have to just bring this part up because you mentioned DeAndre Jordan. And if you really think about it and let's, let's, let's play, let's play the role of Steve Nash and then the coaching staff here. Bringing DeAndre Jordan in does something. It like it changes your your lineup a little bit because it doesn't hurt to have a defensive stopper in this game. I know the Nets want to play a run and gun up and down to Mike D'Antoni eight second offense at times, but having a, a lineup like DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and then you can mess around and actually put Joe Harris at the two and put Durant at the three and Kyrie at the one. That's almost a 2K-like lineup here. You know what I mean? And and, and But it can also be effective. You're around the team. How did DeAndre Jordan sort of have a little bit of a fall from grace in this situation? Well, I just think that they went through a, a long period with him where, where uh, uh, you know, he did actually – they, they had a, a three-game losing streak back in February, I think it was, and uh, and they had a terrible loss in Detroit where Steve Nash upset with the whole team and kind of blew off. And after that, uh, Jordan uh, was the starting center, and he kind of took over, and he was the tone setter on defense for a long, successful run. I forget what they went. It was, it was something crazy, like 14-1, and 15-1, something like that. And he really had a lot to do with that turnaround. But then uh, things started to go sideways a little bit, and uh, DeAndre was identified as part of the problem, especially on the defensive end. And they were just giving up, you know, 120 points a night, game after game after game, and they started losing again and just being more uh, mediocre. Part of it was Harden was out, but also they just weren't getting – what they needed on defense. And so I think that's when they sort of evolved from him and moved on. And his role uh, became drastically reduced simply because uh, they really want Nick Claxton in the mix off the bench. And even though he doesn't play huge minutes, he gets his 10 to 15 minutes a game, and they like the way he can be mobile on the perimeter and go out to guard guys. And I think they felt that's what – uh, DeAndre lacked, you know, as well as on the offensive end, he can't stretch the, the floor because he's not a three-point. And if I could just jump in, I hope, I hope you can hear me okay. Yes. 
Okay, so yeah, my my big thing is I am not going with this narrative that the Nets are this little engine that could, right? The fact that now uh, <laughs> throwing a pity party for the fact that James Harden now may be injured, could be out for the remainder of the series, it remains to be seen. But the fact of the matter is when Sean Marks signed, or you want to call a sign and trade for, for KD and ultimately signing Kyrie Irving, James Harden, the acquisition of him was the icing on the cake, and Blake Griffin was the cherry on top of the Sunday. So, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, again, the, the narrative and the idea that now the Nets have been you know, pushed down the pecking order, certainly in the Eastern Conference, or maybe they've had a devastating blow to their title hopes. I still think they have enough firepower to push them through the series in Milwaukee, especially with what we discussed, is getting Blake Griffin, who even in the postgame comments last night admitted that, you know, Steve Nash had a very specified role for me to play, and that was the toughness factor going after the 50-50 balls. I think he spends as much time on the ground, on the court, as he does on his feet. Uh, and, and you know, again, maybe he gets rewarded with some alley-oops from James Harden, and he harkens back to his his days where he's throwing down massive dunks. But you have a guy that was a perennial all-star, 20-plus point scorer per game, that you have is almost an ace in the hole. So the Nets should have enough firepower. And I think, again, if they're going to want to get to where they expect to be, and I think fans are anticipating them to be, uh, the, the play of the Bruce Browns of the world, the Nicholas Claxons, and certainly Blake Griffin, it's going to take a total collaborative team effort. And I felt in a way last night that Milwaukee game planned against the Nets with James Harden having the ball 85% of the time or more. And it kind of threw them off a little bit that now they were going back to that original KD, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving, who has the hot hand kind of offense and Griffin being effective. So I felt like at least last night, not necessarily in the series overall, that it played into the Nets advantage. Yeah, well, some of your analogies are, are so great. We riders like to steal, so I'm going to have to steal some of those, I think. Steal away, steal away. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, Nash made the point last night that uh, uh, this season, in a sense, prepared them for this moment because they dealt with the roller coaster ride of so many injuries. I think they had 38 different starting lineups. It was just crazy. And so they are a very deep, very adaptable team. And, and they do have the two original superstars that Sean Marks recruited for just this uh, title quest. And so it, you're right about Harden being uh, the icing on top. And uh, uh, so it, it, it's not an end to their, their title quest by any means, and they, shouldn't, they can't allow that uh, to creep into their thought process at all. Uh, but now uh, it's definitely going to take more of a, a team-wide effort. As you said, uh, Griffin has to play a big role in that. And, you know, last night I thought it was interesting. He mentioned uh, how much he admires Bruce Brown and what he brings to the team in his complimentary role. That's a guy who has a well-defined job, who is going out and committing totally to it game after game. And so I think Griffin has tried to take – that same approach and they knew each other from Detroit and, uh, and they've, they've been a, a really good uh, complimentary uh, set of pieces uh, in this Nets roster. And, and really even without Harden, they still have unbelievable depth that they haven't even tapped into. I mean, Schmidt isn't playing that much. Tyler Johnson isn't playing until garbage time. They've still got him. So they have a, a lot they can do, and they could expand the role of Nick Claxton as well. You know, they, they're just a little mistrustful trustful of his uh, lack of experience, but, but they have a lot of pieces. 
And I think what's funny too is you say with Tyler Johnson and those guys like that. I immediately think um, I'm 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 aging myself a little bit. There was an episode of Happy Days when when R- Richie and, and Ralph were uh, playing basketball, and they go, "Ralph, you're in." He t- pulls down his warm ups. He has his jeans on. He goes, "I never play." <laughs> so, so that's that's probably the situation with those guys. Um, so I, I want to also bring up one thing too with um, with what you were saying about you know Griffin and, and like obviously with Lamarcus Aldridge, if he would have been here, would have been the cherry on top in that in that situation. Look, the Nets and you know Rick said it best too. The Nets are not going to get any sympathy from this situation because they went all in. This is like you know those. LeBron teams and some of those like those Dallas teams who are just recruited all these guys who have all the experience. You're not going to feel sorry for them. But if you look at what the, the Nets have a window, they have a three year window right now with these guys that if they don't if they don't get one championship out of the, the big three, the, their their future is going to be very bleak. You thought it was bad before. You thought that you know Billy King got run out of town for a bad trade. Oh, Sean Marks is going to have to move to uh, a place where they're never going to be able to find them. Maybe like Alaska or something like that. <laughs> if this doesn't work out, because all the work that he had to do to undo the mess that Billy King made led to this moment right here. And if he does not come through, if this does this does not work, oh God. There's no hope for this franchise. <laughs> well, there's there's absolutely no question what the goal was uh, in getting these guys, and you know he he built up the assets that they were able able to turn into these uh, moves that he made to to bring in the superstars. He he built a winning environment uh, when other teams you know just uh, tried to lose for for high draft picks. And he, he went the other way. He wanted it to be a good, solid winning environment, and they developed players to fit into the mold and and to fill out the roster. And then when he had to have, have it, you know, he sacrificed D'Angelo Russell. He sacrificed Karis LeVert. And uh, uh, so, so yeah, it, they're all in. There's no doubt about it. And, and that's on uh, Durant and Irving, too, because yeah. – you know, this is their decision. Uh, they they're driving uh, this train, and and they are uh, partners. They're full partners, really, with Marks in this project. Uh, and they have a, a strong voice in everything that happens. And that's why DeAndre Jordan is here, frankly. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to see how it all works out. And I agree with you. They they have to get one championship out of this. I mean, you can say that the the cards have gone against them this season with all the injuries, but at some point, you know, they have to find a way to make it work. There's no doubt about that. And, and Rick, before you jump in, cause I know you want to have a question. I have to ask this question as far as an injury update. Um, I know that Spencer Dinwiddie has been working out. Is there any possibility of him getting back? Not, I'm not even talking about for this series, but for somewhere in this playoff run. Well, uh, to me, the way Nash and Marks have treated it is they just don't want to take that chance with his career. And, uh, and so even though you see all the videos of Spencer, you know, working out and looking, he's just fine. Uh, you know, out in Los Angeles, I think it's significant that, uh, you know, he was talking about, and they all were talking about him coming back and at least joining the team and being a presence in the locker room and on the bench, uh, at the end of this season. And that hasn't happened. And so, you know, we also know that uh, he's probably going to opt out of his contract. And so, you know, he could be a 
a trade piece. Maybe they don't want to risk an injury because uh, they still have designs on trading him because there is interest in him all around the league. So I don't think you'll see him uh, uh, the rest of this series. And I don't think that they would, you know, alter their original plan in order to make up for the loss of Harden. I, the, the way this group, this front office operates, when they make a decision, they stick to it despite how <coughs> circumstances might change. And you could say, well, circumstantially, you know, Harden's out. Dinwiddie looks good. Let's just bring him back and plug him in. Uh, that's not how they operate. You know, they have a, a larger game plan that they're sticking to. And and I really, I just don't expect to see Spencer as, as much as I would like to, because he's one of my favorite people. And my, my question, Andy, pertains to injuries as well. And we've seen Anthony Davis go down with a terrible injury, tried to come back. Even LeBron, you know, they never came out publicly and said what was wrong with him. I, I highly doubt he aged that quickly over such a short period of time. There's obviously something ailing him there. Um, but that is consideration for the James Harden situation is what you just alluded to, Greg, you, you being there every day, Randy and I following from afar, is that this team has been ultra conservative. The reason that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are able to play 40 plus minutes down the playoffs is because they have treated both of them with kid gloves. Um, Kyrie, going back to 2015, the first meeting of four NBA finals meetings between the Cavs and the uh, Warriors, you know, he went down with that knee injury in game one, didn't return for the rest of the year. We know what happened with Kevin Durant at game five against the Toronto Raptors. Um, so both these guys have experience during championship runs in the championship round, suffering these playoff ending season ending injuries. And the Nets are always thinking about not the next game or not even the next series. They're thinking about the next year, the next contract. So they're going to they've, they've gone with the long play so far this year with all their star players. So that I guess maybe, Greg, if you have more insight as far as do you think James Harden, is this ultimately his decision if he says, I want to give it a go no matter what? Or do you think that Sean Marks and the rest of that Nets brass is going to stick to the script, stick to the book and say, sorry, James, but you're out for the remainder of the series or the playoffs? Well, I think this is one of those situations where uh, – uh, they might have to uh, take take the action that is good for James Harden in the long run and resist him because you know he's going to do everything in his power to be, become a part of this. You know, I, I talked to him uh, uh, the day before game one uh, as part of the, one of our Zoom sessions and uh, was talking about the importance of this championship run to him because he's in – this is 13 seasons in the league. He's been to one – NBA finals and lost that one four to one. And so this is, this was his shot. And he said it was without a doubt the best shot he's ever had at a title. So I know uh, he's absolutely going to want to do everything he can to get back. He's going to push himself. He's going to push the performance team, but you know, they're, they have a strict policy. They look out for the long-term interest of the player and, uh, and try to make sure that he doesn't, uh, hurt himself uh, going forward. So uh, I think you'll see them continue to play the long game, as, as you said, and uh, and maybe prevent him. I mean, maybe if James gets back to that point where they see that he's able to handle the kind of uh, physical workouts they put him through in practice that are always a requirement uh, in order to come back, maybe they'll give him a, a put him on a minutes restriction and give him a shot. Uh, so I, 
I think that's the base, best case scenario the way I see it right now, especially after he missed 18 games the previous time. Yeah, and and I'm gonna, this will be my last question with that too, is you know Harden has done everything right since he's got here. You know he's he's model citizen. I, you know a lot of people may be turned off the way he left Houston, but if you look at his situation. This is a situation where the last few years when he was in Houston against the Warriors in the playoffs, he 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 felt like he crumbled a little bit right when the when the spotlight needed to be on him the most as far as taking a big shot or whatever the, the reasoning is. Now he's got a guy, whether Kevin Durant wants the uh, the media attention or the social media attention, whether he wants it or not, he's had that experience with big shots. Kyrie Irving, when he's not thinking that the world is flat, uh, he's had the he's had the experience of having the, the big shot too. So James doesn't have to do that. You know, James went over to Houston as as a, after OKC as a, a third option. OKC became the number one option, but I don't think he's ever learned how to win win that big that big game. Durant has, Irving has. So now this is also learning time for Harden, and he doesn't want to miss that opportunity to be able to contribute to that. Well, I think that's true, but you know, uh, you you can say that based on his record, but I think he's his whole decision making process since he's been here has shown that he understands uh, what he needs to do in order to turn this team into a championship caliber team, and that's why, you know, he's he stepped back and he took that playmaking role. And, and I think he's enjoyed the fact that he doesn't have all the responsibility that he had in Houston. He has, he enjoys the fact that he can share it, but at the same time, he, he enjoyed the fact that he could impact uh, KD and Kyrie so much just through his playmaking. And, and he showed so much insight out there as far as, seeing what was developing on the floor and, and other role players, you know, involving them. Joe Harris said the other day that it's like having a coach on the floor with Harden that because he understands the game and he understands when he needs to get some guys uh, a touch if they haven't had a, an easy touch in a, in a, in a while. And he, he knows how to uh, get them involved and also how to pick up the pace. He's, he's been the master of the court length pass you know, in transition to start the fast break. So I think he embraced that role and he was just doing it great. He was doing it uh, exactly what they need from him in order to win a championship. And that's what makes this uh, so sad, you know, that he's he's not going to get that chance uh, because he totally was fine with that role. He didn't have to have the ball in his hands at all times. And Greg, we really appreciate the time today. I'd be remiss if I didn't put you on the spot because I don't. I'm sure you maybe made a pre-hearted injury series prediction. So I have to ask you: post-injury, after the Nets go up 1-0, how do you see the series playing out? Whether Harden plays or whether more likely he does not. Well, prior to the injury, I was predicting seven games, uh, and but a Nets win because I just think that they had enough uh, to get by this team. Uh, I don't know what I would say at this point. Uh, I think they need to wrap it up as fast as they possibly can. And, you know, it'd be nice if they could get it in, uh, in six games. Uh, uh, but I think the thing that most impressed me was the way the role players were prepared to step up and the defense they played. So if they can keep that same emphasis at the defensive end and be remotely effective, you know, 
close to as effective as they were in this game. I'm not saying they have to hold them to six to 30 from three every game because that ain't happening. But uh, if they can, if they can just, you know, contain some of those role players the Bucks have a little bit and, uh, and make Giannis work, uh, then, then I, th- I think they still can pull this out because as you said, Rick, you know, uh, they've got the two big guys that they need to go ahead and, and advance. So I'm going to say that, uh, you know, it's on them to step it up and, and, uh, and pull this out. Greg, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Thank you so much. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Greg Logan one on Twitter and definitely follow him on Newsday. See, Newsday got you this time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and we really, like I said, we really appreciate you taking some time this morning and uh, hanging out with Rick and I to discuss some Nets basketball. Well, thanks to both of you. I totally enjoyed the discussion. All right. Thank Thank you, guys. Keep following the Nets Insider, netsinsider.com, and, of course, backsportspage.com. I'm Randy Zellia. That's Rick Lachlan, and this has been the Nets Insider Podcast.